Hello and welcome to the Documentary Photography Review podcast with myself, Rebecca Enderby, and co-presenter Chris King. Today we speak to Cinzia D'Ambrosi, who recently completed her Master's at the London College of Communication. As part of this Master's, she spent over two years documenting people trapped in emergency housing in the UK in a project named Transitional. Cinzia has a very personal approach to photography. She prefers to work on long-term projects and spends time getting to know the people she is photographing, talking with them and listening to their stories. With Transitional, she aimed to produce a body of work that broke the stereotypes associated with people in emergency housing. She is very passionate about her projects, as you'll hear in this interview. Show notes with information on Chintzia's work and any photographers, exhibitions or organisations mentioned in the podcast are available at documentaryphotoreview.com forward slash podcasts and then navigate to the page for Chintzia's podcast. Whilst there, please do take time to explore the site. You'll find a diverse mixture of documentary photography from around the world. So now, to our conversation with Cinzia D'Ambrosi. Enjoy. Can you share with us your journey into documentary photography? Okay, um, it's a bit of an odd journey in a way. I've always been a visual person since I was a child. I always enjoyed drawing and photography. Um, so uh, in my teenage years, I, um, I was following for a particular photographer that was living in the same town as I, where I was grown up. And, um, well, basically, in a way, that's how I got introduced to photography. Um, like, just experimenting with the camera and, and to just, just enjoy the experience of taking pictures, walking around in the town and meeting people or friends and, you know, just taking pictures of them as portraits. And well, then I came to London when I was well nineteen, <laughs> and um, and uh, I think the element of biography, in a sense, became a little bit more important. Why who I was questioning, like why I left my country and all that. So in a way, those years were a bit of introverse years. Mm-hmm. And I approached again drawing and painting, and in fact I have a, a degree in uh, painting, and and I really loved those years, but more like in a kind of biographical kind of way. And then towards the end of those three years <laughs> of uh, painting, and I started to again question why I was painting this kind of, <laughs> um, and in a sense like that kind of journey of introspection was kind of going towards an end and my need to sell and my need, my need to explore the world and to tell stories became a little bit more important again. So I started to um, basically just traveling and kind of revisit my love of photography uh, by meeting different communities and experience their lives and 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 just visually taking pictures of them and but in the same time trying to tell their stories was very very important mm-hmm. for me um, and more dedicated I was around how to say their stories and and what I was seeing I would maybe make like find out what, what was about their stories that was uh, attracting me to I then um, yeah, became much more involved into same stories, but all those people that didn't have a voice, kind mm. of, yeah. 
And then recently, I, um, as you know, I joined uh, LACC and I did MA course in documentary photography and it's been really kind of massive uh, experience, positive experience for me. Mm -hmm. As because for years I was just working in a way, but just by myself mm -hmm. and just working on my own and just like self-directed kind of uh, photo stories. And just to be able to live, you know, within a community of photographers or like-minded people, for me, has been very, very nice experience. So um, is that your main motivation for doing the MA, just to build up a network of contacts and yes, like-minded people? Yes, in a way, that's one of them. And the other, I think, was to find out the position of um, documentary photography, mm -hmm. what was, you know, like its ethical stunt. Mm. And because I've been so involved with um, communities where there are issues of vulnerability, just wanted to to find out how, how to express those things without, uh, well, how to be ethically also. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And for me that, you know, was quite important to kind of really study about it in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And to understand your position like, as, as a photographer. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's quite, quite easy that you create stories, but you're not, you know, you're just so enveloped in creating that story and have that relationship with the people. But then what's the effects of that story yeah. for me was very, it's very important to figure that out in a way. Mm. Yeah. yeah. How did you find the course like address that? Was it through, did it run like kind of specific modules on it or was it just through talking to other people or? Uh, both mm. actually. Uh, one, there was a lot of, um, one level there was a lot of discussions about it even uh, with our tutors. Mm -hmm. And even, for instance, taking WordPress, uh, you know, like yearly competitions, and mm. and you know, just discussed about what each work is doing to the world in a way. And so that that was kind of quite a lot of platforms that have been explored mm. by looking at um, published work around us and what effects it does, and how you know, in discuss with, with like with the tutors, but also with our fellow colleagues. Yeah, mm. yeah. And how did you kind of start off the, the body of work transitional? What motivated you? And has uh, that just been within the context of the LCC? Actually, it was a subject I was already researching before. Right. Uh, it. Um, I was actually. I started off with um, looking at families uh, in particular that they were living in uh, small places like overcrowded homes with the issue of the lack of space mm. I wanted to uh, what can, and what its effects on on the on you know health and uh, well-being in general so I was exploring this before I even started the course right okay yeah uh, so it kind of just followed on with that. Mm -hmm. To begin with, I was very much exploring the issue of overcrowding. I had some assistance with shelter, and it, in, right, yeah. yes, mm -hmm. uh, with and in fact one one of the families I had been working for two years uh, was introduced uh, to them from through shelter, right. and and the other families I just just been asking people or you know like just literally I just found them through just networking really right. 
And what was the motivation <laughs> for doing that particular project? I knew personally of some one family that had this problem. Right, okay. And I became very empathic about it. Like I really, really saw how much it was affecting right. the children and, and just even like try to kind of think of how the person was feeling like not to have that, that space at home to be safe and to feel uh, good about being at home. So I was kind of really feeling these feelings, kind of. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so that's how it really came about. And was this based with in London? Uh, not totally. Some families in Chichester, London, and Slough, a bit well, it's still kind of London, a suburb of London. So this, this body of work evolved within the LCC kind of context. So you were doing this on overcrowded spaces and then you decided to kind of do a spin-off yes. in terms of transitional. It just kind of grew, grew mm -hmm. you know, just by researching, talking to people and reading a lot. And then I go, I, I just came into, I think one day I just read an article about, and it just stuck in my mind this phrase that there were so many people in temporary homes mm -hmm. and, and been stuck there, literally. And it kind of just like, just went in my mm -hmm. head over and over about it. And I thought, I really want to find out why are these people stuck there and for, and for how long? And, you know, just, just out of interest and out of, literally out of, sincerely you know thinking how bad must have been the situation of being in mm. a you know in a temporary hostel and temporary home so i researched even just really locally to me where if there were any uh, any temporary homes or mm -hmm. temporary accommodations and i found out of basically an hostel for homeless people mm -hmm. And I, one day I just walked in and I asked to talk to the uh, manager and he came and I expressed my interest and that I was working on a project already for a while but re really wanted to talk to the people living in those, in those rooms and if I could have the opportunity to do that and he trusted me and he said okay then just knock at the door <laughs> and, I'm like, uh -huh. and I said okay and I just thought I'll do that. And it was really like, kind of, I was so nervous, yeah. <laughs> but I did it and I just knocked the doors. And it was actually that day was really such an experience because yeah. I all at once I kind of saw all the worst parts <laughs> in a way, all in one day, because the first door I knocked was of a gentleman he came to open, but he was so sick. He was really, really sick. He was coughing all the time and he literally had, I don't know if I should even say, but I literally had a bean bag just to, to be able to spit in it. Not very <laughs> nice to hear that. But he was so kind. That kindness, it just really struck to me. And, and so I, you know, in a way I felt my heart really beating fast because I could, I could see how sick in a way he was. And by the same time, it's, like, is it really someone talking to me, mm. you know, that, you know, that feeling like someone got interested in him. And so and I didn't want to just leave because I could see he wanted really to talk yeah, to Yes, so he was quite lonely there and he was yeah. happy to have, he wanted to have the company, someone yes. to talk to. So I, 
I sit down and I just yeah. I just talk to him about the project and then he just you know poured his life you know about how he got there and and you just you know just so painful to see that sometimes it has nothing to do with be not willing to work or 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 to be um, it could be just a breakdown of a marriage you know mm. like it was for him that it just spiraled into a really worse and worse scenario and to the point where he couldn't find any more work and and he got really sick i mean i think he had most likely tb but you know because he would he was asking me what do you think i have i have lost weight and um coughing all the time and so you hadn't, you hadn't gone to no, the doctors no and that's the other thing i will i noticed that they most of the people in these hostels do not have much contact with the outside world. Uh, they do have a social worker, um, which is uh, generally allocated to them. Mm-hmm. However, they are overworked, mm. and very often they are not able to um, to be there for them all the time. And also, the, you, some of the, the people don't need that kind of care because they, some of them, they are bound to bed. Around, you know, they need probably a care home mm-hmm. or a different, a different kind of shelter yeah. altogether. Yeah. You know, um, this, yeah, just this was the first person I met, and then I met the gentleman that um, you probably have seen in some of my pictures, and um, his name is Nikoni. And uh, we actually became really good friends with time. Um, he was the, old, the first one to not just to, to say about his life, but actually really engage with the idea of having to, for me to say to people what in his story. He really mm-hmm. wanted me to. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just, we just, again, we sat down not in his room, I didn't see his room at the beginning, the first day, with this, this second person I met. But in this kind of communal kind of space, mm-hmm. where it's like really kind of bare clinical kind of place. And he, yeah, we just, I think for the first month or two, we only met in this kind of, in, you know, space. Yeah. And, and he just like told me about his life and um, again how he got there and his difficulties with health again and <clears throat> how it, you know his life was was great at one point and he had um, he had actually a one bedroom flat. But he was, when he was allocated to this one-bedroom flat, he was never told that he had to pay for um, service charges, which wasn't a lot of money. He could have afforded it. It was something like £10, I think, or £9.80 per week. But because he wasn't told, or he, was, or he, he misread, or, you know, he, for some reason he, he didn't notice, he didn't know. And they amounted to a lot of money. And so at one point, what he, he told me that he got a knock at the door in early morning and there were there people from the council telling him, either you pay this money or you're out, you have to 
he was the key and that's how he ended up. He, he just really did not have this money. Yeah. I mean, the whole project is about people that, and that's what interests me quite a lot. There are many layers, first of all. There are many, many layers. But what really interested me is that these people, um, many people like families or individuals, they are in this temporary space. They, in a way, they're just there, not because they really want to, and they, they, would, they should probably have an assistance which is more a personal assistance, mm -hmm. you know, look, looking at the individual cases. Yeah. Uh, and then on a kind of different level, you have homeless people which we see outside, and, you know, without a roof over their head, mm -hmm. and often we see them in the street or, or really like in those one night shelter. <laughs> then you have so many that are homeless, but they do actually in theory, have a roof, a roof over their head. Yeah, yeah. So they are not classified. There's kind of loop within mm, the yeah. actual statutory um, laws, right. regulations. And that's been changed as well <laughs> recently. But because they are not really homeless, they are not then in need, or they are not given the need, their support. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. They don't have so the same immediate. Access and the yes. Same support yeah. as yeah. They kind of fall between the cracks. Yes. Yeah. And that's why I call the project transitional. Right. Because it's it's about and it's about this transitory kind of stage mm -hmm. where many are left there mm. and they are left to linger for months and years. Actually, Nikuni for instance, has been there for three years. Right. Um, you know, like, there are so many families being left in these homes for very, uh, to, in my mind, in a very unacceptable uh, length of time. Yeah. What is being done for their situation? Like you say that regulations have changed recently. Is that for the better or for the worse? Is it? Well, I think it's for the worse. Right. Yeah. But it's more complex again on a right. governmental kind of way because I from I mean from uh, first of all there has been less funds being allocated to councils home right. council right. and so there's less literally less homes in general to house people in, in these situations. So what has happened uh, as you many can see in London there's been a lot of construction work but those are homes uh, mainly for like um, under a scheme called affordable homes mm -hmm. and those are more uh, <clears throat> where you really still need to have a job yeah. and yeah. and and a quite secure um quite secure in income mm -hmm. and and that does not apply to many people as they are maybe in uh, in a casual work or work that doesn't pay very much um, or many other situations. So what, what is happening is that it's, it's helping a kind of middle way, but it's not helping those people that are at the bottom. Kind yeah, of, you yeah, know? Yeah. So that number has increased and in fact those people that a um, few years ago might have been on middle way, they actually gone into the bigger group, right. which is the bottom way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so your experience is that the cliche of people being lazy and, and unwilling to work just doesn't exist. It, 
the vast majority of people are there for genuinely uh, inescapable reasons that were out of their control. Yeah, I think so, in most of the cases, yeah. 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 I, I think that there is a generalization about um, people being there just because they are lazy. Mm. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a quite, quite a generalization. So, is, did you have, does that how you start a project? You do lots of research. Did you have a story that you thought you would tell, or did it all just kind of come together as you were going along? Um, this is very, uh, in a way, kind of unique, the way it develops. But mm. the way it started is pretty much similar to the way I normally start. Yeah. And I generally, uh, I, it might be a phrase like it was in this case, it just clicked to me. Yeah. And then I start to, I just literally talk to people. I phone up organizations that might be involved with uh, people with this issue. Mm. And, and just literally be, be, you know, out there kind of. And, and then I read a lot. I, you know, I, sh I conversate a lot with, even with the subjects I've been photographing. Mm -hmm. I always take audio recordings of them. Because that, and then when I listen back to it, I know it, it starts to lead to me and evolves. First of all, it leads to me in the development of the story, mm -hmm. but also it, it leads me to where I will go next. Right, okay. You know, yeah. um, because they are the people living the, the issue, so I know they are the ones to tell me. You yeah. Know, kind of. um, yeah, when I start the project, normally very much look at, uh, you know, be out there, kind of research, not j just with the people, but also read about the subject. Mm. Or even sometimes through literature or, you know, just like really get immersed into mm, the yeah. yeah. But you didn't have a set of images in your head with this project that you thought, I need to get these images to tell the story. It sort of happened or, mm, yeah. or um, a bit of both perhaps? Generally I'm working on a storyboard way, right. but this time didn't because um, it was so unique because I had so much, so many different people as mm. well. And how to merge that would have been kind of, I didn't think it, it was going to work. So what I did this time it was more like just spending time with the people and, uh, and like kind of evolve it in that way. Mm. Yeah, because it, it, it just normally I would have had quite firm, not firm, but kind of storyboard line. Yeah. But because this project uh, was so long, it's more than two years mm. now. And it just kind of didn't, I didn't, wasn't working in that way. So I kind of chaptered it, I make different chapters and it worked much more like a book. In fact, I published a book, Transition of this project. Ah, okay. So it actually has like this kind of chapter, which is the overcrowding chapter. And so you address the different elements of it. Kind of, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how it, yeah. Yeah. And how did you sort of find the people that you were photographing? Was it, how did you kind of gain their trust? and? Did you have to overcome your own issues as well? Because I mean, it's quite intimidating just knocking on someone's door and, mm -hmm. you know, saying, can I photograph you? So how did you go about sort of overcoming your own issues and gaining trust with Yeah, um, with, okay, there, for instance, there were two people that I, I 
I decided consciously I cannot mm -hmm. publish this work. And, and, but with, the, with the other families or individuals I worked with, uh, we've been very much conversating. They knew all along what I was going to do. And, how, you know, I did go back with my pictures to show them what I wanted to publish. In fact, one or two pictures, not there, I really think it's fantastic. They're fantastic, but they, they told me they feel uncomfortable about it, so I, I'm not, yeah. you know. So it's a, it's, a, it's a bit, I would say, it's kind of participatory, mm -hmm. although not very participatory, like because they are not, you know, taking pictures themselves in that level, but I work with the subjects all the time, you know, we make them aware of what I'm doing. Yeah. And, yeah. and when you first started, did you, did you always go in with your camera or did you first start meetings when you just had conversations? In, in some of the cases, just <laughs> conversations to begin with. Yeah. To build up that trust. Yeah. So you, you were saying that uh, you feel that you've explored it in a participatory way, which I think, I think that's one thing that's we're actually going to be exploring that in our next podcast, uh, participatory photography, mm. and uh, I, I'm, I was of the thinking that for a participatory project, it had to be the the individual, the the, the so-called subjects, to basically take control and, and have cameras and use those cameras to communicate their reality. But it's a spectrum ultimately, and what you're saying is definitely falls within that spectrum in terms of there's a feedback loop. Mm. They they influence what's taken, how they're represented on a on a particular level. It's you who's representing them through your photography and what you're taking photos mm. of. But at least they have a say and they have input. How that's put into the public domain, what's used and what's not. And so that in itself is still very much participatory yeah. approach, I think. Yes. Um, because yeah. you aren't just kind of taking those images, walking away, and not giving them a say in terms of how they're represented. Um, and I think that's a very important process. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, is that something that developed through? You're talking about the kind of ethical position of being photographers. So is that something that's developed more since doing the course, or have you always worked in that way? Because um, I agree, it's. I think it's really important. It's so easy as a photographer just to take images and and walk away with them, but to work with the people you take them on. It is something that I explored more. Definitely more knowledge of through the course. But it was a way of working already yeah. for me, yeah. Um, kind of go deeper and mm. go, you know, it expanded. I think it's a really valuable way to work. Like, I agree with Chris, I think. Mm. Yeah, it's good. And you enjoy yeah. working in that way. I do, mm. yes. I, I, because I, I the, the way I work is normally on long-term projects. More ethnographic, isn't it? Yeah, in a way, you're right. I it's, mean, you immerse yourself within their lives, don't you? And yes, have repeated yes, kind of conversations yeah, and understand yeah. how, how they live and their social yeah, situations, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I always worked in this way. Mm. This is pretty much mm. kind of my, because I, I, I think I, I really would like, I always aim for the subject for, to forget about me. <laughs> been there right okay and um and and that um there is an awareness of what i'm doing what i'm gonna be doing but that it's not constructive kind of, you know like that is it's it's natural it's about their life and you know um 
and in some ways I, I always built relationships with people you know like I found it very easy like with the Roma communities I've been working with them a lot through the years and I you know when I go there now they're like you know just part of the family you know mm -hmm. most you know then you know it's just the way the way I work like they I kind of immerse myself in mm -hmm. the community that I take pictures of. This exploration, <laughs> this, this approach, is that something that is just in line with who you are or have you taken inspiration from other photographers and, and the way that they've explored things? Um, it's the way I am, but there are some photographers that I really value. There will, you know, they're like Marcus Pliste. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's always been one of my kind of, uh, you know, I, I like, I like the way he works yeah. and I like the fact that he doesn't just do the work it's about getting the message out and like uh, work with, with NGOs or work with not just during but after he thinks about how to get the message and so he works with the relevant body mm. you know organizations even government based you know like even you know, like sitting with uh, MAPs or whatever to just discuss what the you know what's needed mm. at the you know at the you know, on the field. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is so inspirational. I really, really like the approach. Mm. Yeah. Yes, yeah, he's, he's produced some powerful bodies of work. Most mm. definitely. Yeah. And um, in terms of you and like this project. Um, are you trying to sort of like use it to create awareness and work with NGOs or? Yeah, definitely. Um, I definitely uh, would like to, um, to, to have stronger relationships with the NGOs that work or charities that they are involved with the, this issue. I also think that it's important to have it editorially as well, editorially, because mm -hmm. people need to be aware, you know, read, as well um, and my next step also I'm kind of dissecting now a little bit the um, the project itself into smaller uh, issue issues within the issue right, <laughs> yeah. um, so that maybe it's much more you know people can relate to it stronger mm -hmm. stronger in so I'm um, think I'm, I'm already working is already developing into um, uh, looking at lives of women within these temporary homes, right, um, okay, which yeah. has a, a different set of vulnerabilities. Children often are with them, and yeah. what effects it has with them, with the children and them as women. And as well as I'm now researching, I've been researching for a while and looking for like right collaborations to uh, expose the effects of on health like TB and mm. um, even mental issues that people um, develop actually in these places from being in a very, for a very long time mm. in a very unhealthy environment. Yeah. yeah, Small and unhealthy. And with lots of uncertainty and, yeah. and because it is transitional or it's meant to be transitional, mm -hmm. yeah, they may be there for an extended period. And the stress that comes with that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And the, the sense of isolation, mm. despite despite mm -hmm. being surrounded by lots of people, I'm sure it's still 
quite isolating. Mm. Yeah, it is. Mm. Yeah, and then there is this 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 thing that they just um, common to all of them, which is this light. You know, you know this. I want to have a home one day. You know, it's like and and maybe you know in some of these places people die as well. They never get to see mm. to have their own home and experience that. You know, so um, it's quite it's very stressful. Yeah. Mm. I'm sure it had quite an impact on you as an individual, yeah. being exposed to yeah. the, these people and their stories and, and their vulnerabilities. Yeah, it has. Do you think that it's been, partic- not particularly, but like, because you've come to London as an outsider, like, do you kind of perhaps think that you can, I don't know, thinking about the idea of like home and where you belong and, or, you know, <coughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yes. Or do or perhaps, you can edit this question a bit, or perhaps it makes you also curious to what goes on, because I'm sure that lots of Londoners, like born and bred Londoners, perhaps don't think about it, but coming from the outside, you're perhaps more aware of this sense of like home and isolation and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, in a way, yes. Yeah, of course, the, our own experiences, our life experiences, it, it does reflect on what, what you explore as mm. well and what and how you say a story because you have your own baggage because just thinking when you're talking about those three years you spent like as a biography yeah yeah it's finding true. out who you are and why you left your country and what yeah. you're doing here yeah. I just think it could uh, in fact on that time I would have said yes definitely because I did feel that kind of exclusion or you know not exclusion in a, in a bad way but I did feel like I was being you know, I was coming from a different culture, and, mm. you know. But today, I, I, I certainly feel that, you know, I just, I certainly feel part of the society mm. as well. Mm. So I'm, um, I'm not so sure about the element of, uh, you know, or, or, you know, feeling myself not part of. No, but, yeah, but, yeah. But, but for sure, I, I am more, I'm very interested in the fact that this is happening here, you know, and it's, right outside our door mm. and and you know and and to me that that is very strong mm. yeah is this a situation that's happening in italy as well do you know uh, it it is happening and um in, again it's even more hidden yeah yeah um and there are definitely definitely more poverty definitely there is uh more Italians are reliant on food banks, but it's more actually not food banks, but uh, like religious um, charities, oh, yeah. you know, like Caritas is one of them that they are giving out food. Right. Um, housing is, is kind of, what's happening there is kind of different from here in a way that, although it's, it has the same, the same effect, but the housing have devalued in value. <laughs> quite massively. So people, like, let's say you are, no, you are unemployed, you cannot even sell your home to, you know, because right, there yeah. is not, not, nothing to, you know, you know, it's kind of the value of homes have gone way down. Um, but still, um, it's an, an issue more um, prevalent among people that are not Italians. The housing itself in yeah. Italy, yeah. You mean? yeah, 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 migrants, immigrants, yeah, mm. at the moment. And is it something you might explore back in Italy, or you're not? Um, yeah, 
yeah, I have been thinking about it. Um, I've been thinking again on more on health-based mm -hmm. things, and uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I am still so involved with you in UK. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, oh, yeah. And in terms of the people living in these um, transitionary homes in London, was it um, migrants, immigrants, or British-born people, or just a complete mixture? Completely. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's a particular group necessarily. You say that you're going to start exploring spin-offs, so focusing on women <laughs> in particular. So does that mean that the transitional body of work is complete? Is that uh, is the final edit on your website, or do you think yeah. these spin-offs will feed into that and then it will just continue to grow? Probably they're just going to continue to grow. Um, yeah. On the website, it's. I, my website, I always treat it like a canvas, <laughs> like I always change. Um, yeah, so, but in the book, in transition in the book, it's definitely, you know, final yeah. to that. But in terms of fi the project has been final, I think that it has got room for a lot, you know, I'm still exploring, but it's going to go, obviously it's going to grow, mm -hmm. and it's going to go, and I said, it's already, I've been right now involved with working with women, yeah. so it's kind of already growing, but it's yeah. still the same, you know, the same issue that is going into becoming more focused, just yeah. on the subgroup yeah. rather yeah. than yeah. The, the issue as a whole. And what, what was um, it like to make the book? Is this self-published or is this yes, been, it's self-published. Right. It's in on blurb. <laughs> right. Yeah. And how did you find that experience uh, of, of piecing it all together? And I the. I think it, it was uh, really uh, quite a learning experience. Um, what it guided me through actually is uh, the words. I kind of wrote down on my desk all the phrases they had that really stuck to me. and right. that they, So I kind of edited by having those words in my... In fact, I even wrote them in, the, in some of the pages of the book, just, you know, like, because they... words like feel abandoned or feeling, you know, like, and then I tried to, to come to have that narrative mm -hmm. around what they told me okay. about. So, and also I had a lot, I've been going to um, quite a few of housing kind of meet, not meetings, but like in the House of Commons, they have occasionally like, yeah, people can go there and talk about, you know, like as a as a meeting yeah. with yeah. experts, and in this mm -hmm. case was with David Orr of the Housing the F okay. Federation oh, okay. of Housing, and he is, you know, he's been devoted to this campaign to yes to homes. I don't know if you're aware, but but yeah, he, he the, on his panel uh, uh, kind of informal meeting, mm. and there were quite few people that they were. Um, you know, looking at the issue of lack of homes mm -hmm. and in, in different angles and or through having done um, a, long pro a long research. Uh, but yeah, uh, what I wanted to say is that David Orr has also uh, contributed one of his articles for my book. Ah, okay. And so Owen Jones, um, which is uh, a journalist and mm -hmm. uh, writer, and he also contributed an article to, for my book, and that you know was really massive. I thought 
quite support, you yeah. know, because yeah. I, you know, just and also in a way to just have the the work to be more visible, you yeah. know, for people to to um, engage to the issue. Yeah. yeah. And how are you getting it out into the public domain? How are you I, informing people of the work? Well, I'm just just socially engaging it through internet or, in, or talking to people about it or at this moment, particular moment is in the exhibition, mm-hmm. uh, which is at the LCC. Yep. So there is, a, there is a vitrine and the book is there mm-hmm. so for people to read and look. And where can people find you on the internet? Um, well, on my website, yep. uh, which is chinsalambrosi.com, on Twitter as well, <laughs> uh, again with my name, and yeah, just, I'm just... And, and the name of the exhibition? The exhibition is Where We Stand, okay. um, and it's, it's an interesting title because it, 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 we are uh, exhibiting, we have 22 of us, and we come from different backgrounds, different countries. Um, so it's a take where we take our stand in, in certain issues okay, and yeah. how we take them because we've been, we are effect, you know, we are effectively from different places and yeah. looking at, it, you know. So it, um, so I think it was quite challenging to put together um, such diverse work and yeah. Um, yeah, and our curator Max Houghton, I think she did a very good job. Yeah. And that's at the LCC? Yeah. 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 The Elephant and Castle? Yes. Yeah. Can you recommend another documentary photographer who's explored a story local yeah. to them? So it could be anybody in the world, yeah. anywhere, but they actually look on the doorstep and yeah. explore something. Um, Liz Hindley, she's, I have to say, she also was an inspiration for my work. Um, yeah, she, she did explore homelessness and, and religion within community wow. and now religion. You know, like in a small uh, like community, you have so many different uh, religions yeah. and how it binds together in a small and confined place. But she actually moved to Shanghai just a year ago, but till a year ago, she was, <laughs> I would recommend her. Right, sure. okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Documentary Photography Review Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it, and if you'd like to see Cinzia's work, you can visit her website at cinziadambrosi.com. The show notes for this episode can be found on the Documentary Photography Review website by going to documentaryphotoreview.com forward slash podcasts and navigate to the page for Chintia's podcast. Do make sure you subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher, as there are some great interviews lined up. Going beyond discussions around personal projects and exploring participatory techniques, editing and more with subject matter experts. Don't forget there's now a video podcast which you can watch via YouTube by going to youtube.com forward slash documentary photo. In the video podcast, photographers present their project and narrate a slideshow of their work allowing you to learn more about the people and places being documented and the photographer's experiences. And of course, do visit the website and explore some great work from documentary photographers from around the globe. If you would like to have your own work considered for publication on the site, do get in touch with me at chris at documentaryphotoreview.com. Thank you again for listening. Take care and until next time.